Welcome back to Revival tonight. Amen. Aren't you thankful you're here tonight? It's been a fantastic week, and we're looking forward to another great night together. Let's stand. Turn to page 316. Page 316, The Haven of Rest. We'll sing all three verses as we begin tonight. Page number 316. Lift it up together as we sing it out on that first verse. My soul in sad exile. Sing it out. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea. So burdened with sin and distress. Till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice. And I entered the start tonight. It is good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. And uh, we, we just had a great uh, day today. Got some work in and some studying in and uh, had a wonderful uh, lunch with the hearings. Brother Dean ate a piece of prime rib about as big as his head. And so I'm so thankful Miss Susie woke him up for the service tonight. Amen. And he's here. No, we, we, we have had a great week in the Lord. And so thankful that you're here uh, tonight, and I hope that when it's all said and done, we can rejoice. Hallelujah. Amen. And so let's pray tonight, and let's ask God to meet with us uh, once again. I'm going to ask Brother Steve Parker if you would pray for us tonight. 
Yes. Let's remain standing, if you would. Turn to page 702. If you know the Lord is your Savior tonight, when the roll is called up yonder, you can say, I'll be there. Amen. Let's sing it out together on that first verse. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the same difference shall gather over on the other shore. And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise, and the glory of his resurrection share when his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder i'll be there when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder when the I'll be there. Let's get around, shake hands together tonight. Good to have each one back for the night of revival. Thankful for those visiting with us tonight as well.
page number 702. If you lost that page number, we're going to sing it out on that last verse. Let us labor for the master. Let's sing it out. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Amen. Come tonight, and of course we are uh, taking up an offering each night uh, to be a blessing uh, to the meeting, and, and certainly the man of God as he has been a blessing uh, to us. Well, hope your name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Joe um, if you'd pray for us tonight, Brother Joe Quinlan. Amen. You may be seated tonight.
so thankful that we have youth that want to use our talents for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Doesn't get much better than that. Let's all stand together. Turn to page 693. Beautiful job, Ethan. Thank you. Page number 693. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Amen. Let's sing it out, both verses, as we sing our last song together tonight. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day, that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day, that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more birth. out what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day Glorious day that will be. If you're looking forward to that day, say amen tonight. Praise the Lord. Great singing. You may be seated. Just before the message tonight, we're going to have a special from Brother Tim and Miss Anna Quinlan. Christ alone will I glory, though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure, and by his strength alone I overcome. Oh, I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my hand. 
but those trophies are not equal to the grace by which I stand. In Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. In Christ alone will I glory, for only by his grace I am redeemed, and only his tender mercy reach beyond my weakness to my need. No, I seek no greater honor than just to know him more, and to count my gains as losses to the glory of my Lord. In Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope, is Christ alone. Amen. It's just been a good week in the Lord, isn't it? Uh, hadn't it been? And, and it's been a blessing to have... Uh, Brother Dean and Miss Susie Herring uh, here with us, and we have sure enjoyed our time with them, and I trust you have uh, as well. They are certainly a blessing, and so Brother Herring, you come and preach the word tonight again, brother. Amen. Well, I am so glad to be here tonight. It's amazing that it's already the last night, isn't it? I'm telling you, and uh, yet we've had a wonderful time. We love your pastor, love his wife, and family. We're just blessed to be with them. I was looking forward to this week because I hadn't had a, a, a lot of time recently to spend time with your preacher, and he's always an encouragement to me, and, and uh, he's a help to me. He, he's a blessing to me. He's one of those sharpening guys that sort of help, help, you, uh, help you out. Sometimes you feel like when you get up into your 60s and are peeping over the fence at your 70s, you don't need that kind of thing, but that's not true at all. And uh, we need friendships, and we need people that help us stay on track. And, and so I'm grateful for guys that uh, are younger than me, that help me and encourage me, and, and they keep me prodding forward, and so I'm thankful for that. I want to thank you for, for your welcoming spirit. I pray you'll never lose that. I pray you'll never lose that. People are going to come through those doors that aren't going to look like you. They're not going to act like you. They're not going to talk like you. They're not going to live like you. 
But if you, will, if you will love them where they're at, you can love them to where they need to be. And one of the things in our church is that we get mixed up in because we're conservative, fundamental, Bible-believing, Christian people, Baptist people. One of the things we, we sort of confuse a little bit is the fact that we think that, that somehow acceptance is the same as approval, and it's not. But acceptance is the optimum atmosphere for change. If you want to accept somebody as they, as they are, then you're not doing what Jesus did. Jesus takes people right where they're at, blemishes and all, but he doesn't leave them there. And so when somebody comes in here and they look totally different than you, wrap your arms around them, so to speak, and love them and make them well, feel welcome here. And li listen to me, trust the process. Well, preacher, what's the process? It's right here. Trust the process. This book can change the vilest of sinners. And this book will alter your life and their life and my life. It's, it's, that's, it's the power of the Word. And so just trust it and accept them and, and love them without fearing uh, that you might be mistaken for approving them. And uh, always keep this place welcoming. And uh, you'll... you'll um, It'll, it'll be, uh, this place will be a lighthouse. And so Susie and I want to thank you for welcoming us, and, and uh, we're, we're so grateful for that. We, I want to tell you, we leave blessed. We, we leave blessed. I want to say one other thing to you that I think is important for you to hear. I can't say this all the time, and I can't say this everywhere I go, but, but she and I both were talking about this uh, just yesterday. You know what your pastor's you know what your pastor's done all week? And this is the honest truth. You know what your pastor's done all week? He's bragged on you. He just bragged on you. We were talking last night on the way back. It's so obvious that, that uh, your pastor and his wife love you. They haven't belittled and, and, you know, if they had, I wouldn't have told you. You know what I'm saying? I just would have kept quiet about it. I just would have kept quiet about it. But they, they have loved you and bragged on you and just told us what great people you are. And uh, that's been a blessing to us because we feel love here from them to you and from you to them. And so you're both gifts. He's a gift to you all. She's a gift to you all. And you all are a gift to them. So take care. You're a treasure. Just please trust me. You don't find this everywhere. You just don't find this everywhere. It's unusual, and uh, God's been good. And uh, so thank you. Uh, I want you to know I love you, and I will, I will pray for you and think of you often. And so I hope you'll keep me in your prayers also. Chapter 16 of the book of Luke. Chapter 16 of the book of Luke. Good to have Brant and Matt back. We're glad they're here. And uh, they blew in just about an hour ago, amen? And I'm telling you what, man, the wind has been something else. Throw the sail up and let her go. And um, so here we are. It's an interesting thought. This has nothing to do with the message, but that, I don't, you've got to understand how my brain works. I, I get in trouble. I said, throw the sail up and, and let her go. Do you know in the Bible that the only time you find a shipwreck in description prior to that, Paul said, let her drive. 
Okay, anyhow, let's move on. Okay, we won't deal with that. I just, I just a thought. I don't know if it has anything to do with anything. All right. I'm in trouble? Okay, all right, I'm in trouble. My wife is staring me down, so we'll move on. Um, in Idaho, everybody has cats. How many of y'all have cats? Okay, several of you. All right. So I just, I, it was just funny. I made a cat joke one time that, that, that Noah did not allow cats on the ark, that they had to take a raft. And uh, my word, son, I thought they were going to stone me to death. People, this is a joke. I mean, you got to get used to the different cultures. As soon as we moved out to Idaho, I, made a, I just made a joke. Susie and I, we cut up all the time. That's just, it's just our nature. And I said something humorous about Susie. When it was over, people were coming to like, Pastor, you got a good wife. I mean, elderly ladies were like, you better treat her good. And I'm like, my word. So anyhow, I learned certain... Not, so I won't, um, I, I won't joke about driving anymore with women here. I could tell that didn't go over well. And so we'll, we'll move on quickly. Stand to your feet, would you please? Luke chapter 16. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a beggar, a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight. Give us what we have need of. You've blessed us, Lord. You've worked in our hearts this week, and we are so grateful. God, thank you for the joy and the privilege that it has been for mine and Susie's uh, experience to be here. And we, we're grateful, and we leave blessed people for how you've worked and for the joy of being in this place with these dear people. <clears throat> I pray now, God, that you would hear our prayer tonight. This is the final service of this part of the revival. I pray that it would not only continue on, on Sunday and, and, and down through the months and 
weeks and even years ahead, Lord. I pray that you would do a lasting work. And, and yet even tonight, I pray that you would work again. Do tonight, God, what we cannot do. And what we readily admit that only you can do. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for all of it. For it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we do pray these things. Amen. All right, you may be seated. It's not unusual to find the Lord Jesus Christ using parables in his teaching. Let me explain to you what a parable is. It's a short story that illustrates an eternal truth. What a parable is, if a room is darkened and somebody said, would you, would you open the window and lift the shades, it lets light in. And it illuminates the room so that you can better navigate and better see what's going on in the room. That's a parable. In fact, 47 times in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you will find parables being, being mentioned. Now, I said all that to simply say this tonight, and that is that what we've read tonight is not a parable. I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that what we're dealing with here tonight um, is, uh, is, a, is an actual story about two actual men that actually lived during a time period on this earth. Now, there are several facts that lead us to this conclusion. Number one, Jesus did not identify it as a parable. In 47 other times, parables are identified. But here, it's not called a parable. Second reason is because he talks about a certain rich man. And so he has... He has a, a certain beggar in mind, a certain rich man in mind, and while not disclosing the rich man's name, uh, he had somebody specific in mind. The third reason why is because he mentions in this story a historical character, Abraham, and so these things set it apart from uh, just simply a story to illustrate an eternal truth. Now as we enter into this text that we've read tonight, we're immediately introduced to two men who were as different as night and day, and yet their paths intersected here in this life. One was a beggar, the other was a man of great wealth. They both died, and we are immediately made aware that death is no respecter of persons. Does it matter, does it matter whatsoever? Um, uh, how much money you have in your bank account or how influential you are, that means nothing. Dutch Schultz, the famous gangster, lay bleeding to death on a Chicago street. And as the paramedics worked over him, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a wad of money, stuffed it in the hand of the paramedic and said, Here, buddy, fix me up real good. But he died. Because you can't buy life and you can't, you can't, uh, you can't bargain life. And the reality of the matter is... I've preached funerals of elderly, I've preached funerals of young, I've preached funerals of, of, of infinite, infants, and, and the reality of the matter is death is no respecter of persons. One begged bread here on earth, the other begged water in hell. I would rather spend my life begging bread on earth than to spend my eternity begging water in hell. I'm just going to tell you that... that uh, there's great lessons in this about the eternity of people and how that nothing that we have on this earth, nothing that we possess in any way gains us. Anyway, your mama may be the best Christian you've ever known, but that don't mean you are. You may come from a godly home. You may have godly grandparents. 
You may have read from the family Bible uh, every night around the fireside. I don't listen. I'm just simply telling you that this brings it down to a rich man and a poor man. And the reality, the only thing that made the difference between the two of them is who knew Christ and who didn't. Now, we read here that obviously we're talking about Abraham's bosom in paradise. We, we understand that Jesus had not yet gone to Calvary and captivity had not been led to heaven. And there's a lot of things in that. And Jesus went to the cross and paid for the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. Old Testament saints went into Abraham's bosom or what is called paradise and that's why Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in heaven. No, in paradise. Okay? So you can look across the gulf there. I believe it's in the center of the earth. But anyhow, you can look across the gulf and you can see Abraham's bosom. And that's why the conversation is going on between the rich man in hell and Abraham in his bosom as he spots Lazarus. So that's, that's, that's the scene that's set behind here. Now in this conversation... There is a truth that's revealed in verse number 25 that is a haunting truth. He says to the rich man, Abraham does, Son, remember. And I can almost feel those words as they echo throughout the chambers of the damned as men and women and people are in hell. Those words rang across those crackling flames of hell and echoed in the ears of those who are eternally confined there. Son, remember. Son, remember. Son, remember. Son, remember. It was a haunting, it was a haunting reminder to the rich man that of everything he had on this earth, of all of the servants that waited on his every need, of all of the fine clothing that the Scriptures talks about, of the palatial surroundings that he found himself in every day, of all of the niceties of his life, of all of the things that he could afford, of all of his wealth and all of his finery, he brought nothing of it with him into eternity. The one thing he took from this earth into hell was his memory. Son, remember. Son, remember. If you could come to my house, we could show you Photo books, photo albums, scrapbooks. My wife's done a great job of organizing things. And we could take you back to Christmases when the kids were just knee-high to a grasshopper, so to speak. I mean vacations, Christmases, get-togethers, times where we were. You, you know, we, we could just show you travels throughout. We could take you from the beginning of our marriage and work all the way through until today. And, and you could sort of see a pictorial history of our life and the vacations we took and the Christmases we had and the Thanksgiving get-togethers. You could see just a, a sort of a montage of our life all in picture form. You know what that represents? A lot of money. A lot of money. We've invested money in the life of our children, in the life of our family. Why? We were creating memories. And, and sometimes when my kids would come over at Christmas time, everybody's, everybody's in Idaho and my, you know, uh, our house is like a daycare on steroids. I mean, there are kids running everywhere and it's fantastic. And sometimes the kids will come in, my children, and they'll sit around and Susie will be ironing clothes or something 
and we'll talk about funny things that happen. You know, one of the kids stuck a Flintstone vitamin up his nose, and I had to get needle-nose pliers to pull it out, and all kind of crazy stuff that went on, and, and uh, we'll, we'll just sit around and laugh about those. And, and, and you, you know what? We, we're, we're, we're cherishing the memories of what was. But the thing that is a blessing on earth is a curse in hell. They, they try to shake the memories. They try to forget the memories. And yet here he says, son, remember. And, and the rich man obviously had not forgotten the refreshing taste of water, the cool, quenching uh, taste of water. And in fact, so much so that he said if he could just put one drop of water on the tip of his finger and, and just, just touch the tip of my tongue, it would bring enormous relief to me. The rich man had not forgotten that. He had, he had not forgotten the fact uh, of who Abraham was. He, he recognizes Lazarus. He, he remembered him. And he remembered the spiritual condition of his five brothers. You talk about a commentary of a family. One boy in hell, five on the way. One boy in hell, five on the way. And he remembered clearly those that he had read about and those whose lives on earth had intersected his. And I just want to throw a thought at you today, and I want us to consider it for a little while tonight. How are you remembered in hell? He remembered his brothers. He remembered reading about Abraham. He remembered Lazarus. He remembered the goodness of Lazarus and felt that Lazarus was such a good guy that if, if allowed to do so, Lazarus would come to help him. He remembered that his brothers were lost and on their way to hell. And so the people in hell carry with them their full memory. It's a place of torment, a place of conversation, of weeping, the Bible says, of wailing and of gnashing of teeth. And it's a place of memory. I want to ask you three questions tonight. Number one, do they remember you as a faithful witness? Now, I don't, I don't know how the inner workings of this man's life was carried about with Lazarus. I know Lazarus was obviously such a poor and invalided man that the dogs came and licked his sores. He was obviously in horrendous physical condition. But yet he had faith in Christ, and because of that, he went to Abraham's bosom when he died, and, and the thing that I sense as I read this, I don't see any shock in, in the rich man whatsoever in seeing Lazarus there. So I think it's understood that there was a witness outside of his gate and that the rich man was not, was not stunned. What are you doing there? I mean, there was no hypocrisy in Lazarus. And, uh, and, and, and so it seems that he was aware of Lazarus's faith and perhaps he had been a witness to the rich man and... and um, why, why would somebody with so much listen to someone with so little? Perhaps that's why that he had not had impact upon the rich man's life. I, I don't know, but he, he, he has a lot of knowledge, this man does, that's in hell, of, of, of the Old Testament and the characters that were there and so on and so forth. Do you know that Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And so even in the Old Testament, there, there is testimony given of being a witness for the Lord God. 
and, and of, of turning people to righteousness and of telling them the truth about heaven and about hell. I, I think, of, uh, I think of, of how in hell the memory flows in people's minds. Can you think about the people from Noah's day? Can you think about the fact that they, they that are in hell remember that the last scene of their earthly life was the flood and how that perhaps things began to, you know, uh, spread, rumors spread throughout the area that there's an old man down there, Noah, you know the guy, the, old, the, 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 the weirdo, he's down there building something that's a monstrosity. And somebody goes down and they see all this wood laid out and somebody says, what are you building? And he says, I'm building an ark. And they said, what is an ark? And he said, it's a giant boat. And they're looking around like, what in the world could possibly float the boat? And so he begins to warn them. The Bible, the Bible says in 2 Peter 2 verse 5 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so he's preaching to them about the Lord and about righteousness and about judgment to come. And they're mocking him and they're rejecting him and they're scoffing at him. And I can, I can almost hear them down at Joe's Bar and Grill one night as they gather down there. And somebody says, hey, anybody seen the old man lately? And somebody said, I went by there. I went by there and nobody was outside. And all of those animals that we saw in a stream heading toward that, they must be all in that crazy boat and the door is shut and, 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 and we don't, hadn't seen a, a, a thing about him or heard a word from him. And I can hear the snickering and the mocking until all of a sudden the Bible said that the heavens above began to break loose and the waters beneath. The earth began to shake, and I want to tell you something. When water began to creep through the doors of their dwelling places, there was no laughing matter anymore. And I have no doubt that many of them began to try to make their way down to that ark and they began to claw and scrape their fingers to the bone as they bammed on it and screamed and cried. But the churning waters sooner or later swept them away and all of a sudden they were submerged and inhaled liquid death and died and in hell today. I'm talking right now as we're in this room, as we're in this revival. Right now, the people that died in the flood in Noah's day, they, they remember the old man and his preaching. They remember his messages of righteousness. They remember the opportunities that he tried to give them to flee from wrath to come, and they would not. They remember, they remember Noah. The people of Enoch's day, remember how that Enoch preached unto them about Christ. Jude Verse 14 says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Listen to me. Enoch preached about the second coming of Christ before he had ever come the first time. And he's preaching to them. And Enoch walked with God and was not. For God took him. And they remembered that old man, that old saint. That man that had the different look in his eye as he talked to them about, about the prophetic things of the future. And they rejected everything that he said. Cain remembers how Abel loved God and brought a sacrifice of blood. Korah and his wicked cohorts remember the godly leadership of Moses. Can you imagine Judas Iscariot in his mind's eye right now? Can see the Mount of Olives. And in hell, he remembers Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you unto myself, but you would not. He didn't say you could not. He said, I tried, I pleaded, but you wouldn't come. Right. Judas remembers seeing tears 
streamed down the face of the Savior. He remembers walking into the cool of the Garden of Gethsemane and placing the betrayal kiss on the cheek of Jesus as he betrayed him to the Roman soldiers. I heard an old preacher from Georgia preach one time, kissing the door of heaven and falling into hell. I'm going to tell you something, dear friend. He remembers that. Pilate remembers the day that he washed his hands and, 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 and tried, to, tried to free himself from the guilt. Herod remembers standing there at Caesarea Maritima and taking upon himself the, the praise of a God. And he was struck dead and the worms uh, devoured his body. People from every generation remembers the opportunities that they had to trust the Lord. Those wicked, those wicked religious priests remember standing at Smithfield as they tied God's people to stakes and set fire to them and how that those men would, would reach their hands out and, and bathe them in the fire and just pull the fire to them and, and give glory to God as they burned to death for their faith. I remember the story of a 12-year-old boy that was brought in to the priest, and the priest said, you'll recant, you'll recant of your faith or die. You'll, we'll, put you, we'll put you to the stake, son. There was a candle burning on the priest's desk, and the young boy reached his hand out and stuck his hand in the fire and looked the priest in the eye and said, I do not fear the flame, sir. I'm going to tell you something, friend. Listen to me. Those, those, those wicked people that, that condemned the people of faith to death, they, they remember, they remember the words and remember the religionists from all those dark ages remember the testimony of those that they killed. There's a man in my neighborhood who made it his goal to give alcohol to as many young men as he possibly could. He drove an old green Impala. His last name was Zeely, Mr. Zeely. And he shared, he shared alcohol, even with my own brother. He was the first man to give my brother alcohol at 60 years old. At 60 years old, my brother died an alcoholic's death in a lonely hospital in Salt Lake City from cancer and cirrhosis of the liver. I remember one day I was trying to witness to Mr. Zeely. I was a 16, 17-year-old boy. He was in his car. First time I'd ever seen him sober. And I walked up to him and I began to talk with him. And I said, Mr. Zeely, I want to talk with you about the Bible. And I want to tell you about Jesus and how Jesus died for your sins. And I began to tell him the story of grace and how that God had died on the cross to save him from his sins. And I'll never forget, <clears throat> I'll never forget feeling the tangible presence of the Spirit of God as he moved on that man's heart, and I, I, could see him, I could see him begin to quake because of the truth as it penetrated that cold heart of his. After I'd witnessed to him for a while, he said to me, he said, he said, Dean, I believe everything you're telling me is true. And he said, I want to make a promise to you. Before I, he said, I'm 53 years old. Before I die, I'll accept the Christ you're telling me about, and I'll, I'll, I'll trust the plan of salvation you've shared with me and I said, Mr. Zeely, you don't have any promise of even tomorrow, much less years to come. You can't put this off. And right at that time, another young man from the neighborhood came up and the entire thing was just broken up. I never got to witness to him again. But three weeks later, he was walking across his living room floor and fell over dead on the carpet, died, never drew another breath, hit, was dead before he hit the, before he hit the floor. And I can't help but think tonight, 
that in hell somewhere there's a man that grew up in our, that, that lived in our neighborhood where I grew up. And I, I know for a fact that I was the only person probably, at least during that time period, that ever witnessed to him. And, and I, I think that as he sees me in his mind, I'm still a 16 or 17 year old boy. And he remembers that day and he remembers how God moved his heart. And he remembers me saying, you don't have a promise of tomorrow. Please get saved now. And he would not. And I have no doubt that in hell somewhere, there's a man there that calls my name and remembers the opportunity that I gave him to get saved. And I, I can't believe that he's not just screaming there saying, God, give me one more chance. Send Dean one more time and I'll get saved. But his cry goes unanswered because it's too late. It's too late. I got a call from a lady in our church years ago, Robbie Hires, and she called me and asked me to visit her uncle, Mr. B.C. Sanders, and he had leukemia. I went to the hospital, Memorial Hospital in Savannah, Georgia, and got on the elevator and went up. When I walked up to the room and looked in the room, it was crowded with people. So I turned around and went and got back on the elevator and pushed the button to the bottom floor, rode to the bottom floor and said, God, I need you to clear that room because this is a serious visit. I don't know how much time this guy has. Pushed the button to go back up, rode back up to the fourth floor, got off the elevator, went to the room and it was totally empty. I knew that God had answered my prayer. I walked into the room and I shared with B.C. Sanders the story of Jesus and how that God had died on the cross for his sins. And I'll never forget right there, a man whose body was racked with leukemia bowed his head and asked Jesus into his heart, got born again. I want to tell you it was amazing. He, he asked me if I had any material that would help him grow as a Christian, help him to grow in his new Christian life. And so I, I said to him, I said, I'll bring you some stuff. So I brought him some material to read. He devoured that. A couple of weeks later, I was gone on vacation, and I came back to the hospital when vacation was over, and I went in to see him, and I walked in the room, and the bed was made, and it was empty. Now, I, I remember going down to the nurse's station. I said, could you tell me where Mr. Sanders is at? And she said, oh, I'm sorry. Mr. Sanders is deceased. I remember dropping my head. I remember walking down the hallway so saddened over the death of the man that had become my friend and so so broken hearted over it. And as I was walking down the hallway, I felt the Spirit of God say, what's your head down for, son? What's your head down for? You'll see him again one day. And I got thinking about the fact that he was, he was just about three weeks from hell. Can you imagine, can you imagine in heaven what B.C. Sanders did when he praised Jesus for saving his soul when he was so close to an eternity in hell? Are you remembered as a soul winner, number two, do they remember you as silent? Now, I don't know how many believers the rich man came in contact with. I mean, he was, he was a wealthy man. His, his, his commerce carried him throughout the city. I'm sure there were others there that knew the Lord. And I'm sure that, that he came in contact with other Jesus followers. And I, I, I'm sure the way that the buzz was in the city there and, 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 and how word got out, I'm sure that probably at some point... Uh, that, 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 that he had uh, business with some men of faith. And, and maybe, maybe they witnessed, maybe they did not. Maybe, the, maybe they swallowed hard because of the fear of man and because they were afraid they might lose his account. And maybe they put money over the gospel. Maybe they, maybe they chose not to say anything for fear that they might be rejected or for fear that they might be embarrassed. 
And so because of their fear of man, they didn't fulfill their obligation. I don't know if he lived near believers that were intimidated by his wealth and prestige. I do know that he had one man that cared about him, and it was obvious that that man was Lazarus. There's consequences for our silence. Would you go with me to the book of Ezekiel 33? Ezekiel chapter 33. We've been called as believers to be watchmen. To stand upon the wall, so to speak, and to tell people truth. Look, look with me in verse 8 of Ezekiel 33. God said, When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. I remember as a teenage boy, I remember as a teenage boy going, listen, we didn't have church growth seminars back in those days. We weren't concerned about growing churches. We were concerned about winning souls. We had soul winning clinics in those days. You know why? Because if you win souls, you grow the church God's way. You don't have to come up with some program or some fancy thing in order to draw people in. If you just get out and tell people about Jesus, Jesus will save people and the church will grow and the Lord will add daily unto the church such as should be saved. And so we have that. I remember a message that somebody preached on the, the, the sin of soul murder. And he preached out of this passage of scripture and he talked about bloody hands. And how that the people we work next to, even our, even our kinfolk, the guy down the road... The, the, the family whose kids play soccer or, or basketball with ours, the people that we come in contact with, the divine appointments that God places in our life so that our life intersects with somebody else's life. And at that point, God wants us to be a witness to them. And if we fail to do so, the Bible said, His blood will I require at your hands. Soul murder. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm telling you, we've got to get to the place where we order more tracts. We've got to get to the place to where we, 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 we take the opportunity every turn we can, every time we get a chance to give somebody the hope of glory, to share with them the gospel of Jesus. Do you know this? The greatest, the greatest thought that will ever cross your mind is that every single person will spend eternity someplace. Went over the preacher's house last night. We watched the ball game. And boy, I want to tell you, Arrowhead Stadium was crammed-packed with, with, with red and white. Do you know something in that massive group of people there cheering and watching? Did you know this? Did you know that every single one of those people Jesus died for? And that every single one of those people are going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. There is no in-between. There's no holdover chamber. There's no place where you can pray them out of one into the other. It, listen, the rich man died and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torment. I'm going to tell you, we've got to get busy on this thing. Um, um, if our gospel be hid, 2 Corinthians 4, 3, who's it hid to? It's hid to them that are lost. Have you ever noticed that it's after the great white throne in the book of Revelation that all tears are wiped away from our eyes? Right, right. 
Why do you think that could be? I think it's because of the fact that we're going to, we're going to see before our very eyes at, at, the, at the great white throne the people that we have failed to witness to and our co-workers and our loved ones and our, and our kinfolk that, that, that we've been too reticent to share the truth with and they're going to die and go to hell. And our hearts are going to be broken. So much so that later all tears will be wiped from our eyes and the memory of the former things will be wiped away. God's going to have to clear our mind for us to forget forever those that are condemned to hell. I could talk to you about I could talk to you about the guy that was in prison and I sat through bars and shared the gospel with him and got born again. Man, I, I, I could tell you stories of people that got saved at bus stops and people got saved on their front porch. I, I could tell you stories of guys whose life was shattered and ruined and they got saved. I wish, I wish that every story I had was like that. When I was a young boy, I played on a baseball team. We won the city championship seven years in a row. The same man was my coach all years. His son was one of my best friends. They taught me how to water ski. Live right down the road. We would spend nights swimming at the docks, and we, we just grew up playing ball together and having a great time together. God got a hold of my life, and, 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 and my parents pulled me out of public school. And I had sort of protected him during those years in public school. Now I'm in a Christian school. He's still in the public school. And our lives sort of went in different directions. I was called to preach and went off to Bible college. I went off to Bible college. I came back and during the summers I'd drive a bus for my church and get busy in my church. I remember, I remember seeing my buddies down at, the, down at the convenience store down from the house and I remember going up to them and saying, hey guys, we got a, we got a special thing going on at church and I just wanted to invite y'all to our special day. They knew something had changed in my life. And my attempt... To impact them was to invite them to a special day rather than telling them what had brought the change about in my life and how that I was, was, had gotten my heart right with God and that knew Christ was my Savior. It was a weak attempt. It was a cowardly attempt. When it comes to soul winning, silence isn't golden, it's yellow. And that's exactly how I treated it. I spent two years in my home church as a youth pastor and then was called to a town about 60 miles away to be a youth pastor there. I got a phone call one afternoon. Mom said, Dean, you where I can talk with you? I said, yeah, ma yes, ma'am, I can. And she said, you, you might need to be sitting down. And I said, well, I'm okay, Mom. What's going on? And she told me that Steve had been out jogging and had hit, been hit by a car, and it died instantly. I'll never forget the wave of emotion that rolled over me, and I hung the phone up and got down in my daughter's bedroom and buried my face into the carpet, and I began to weep and cry because I knew that I had not done what I should have done in witnessing to him. I let one of my dear friends slip through my fingers, as far as I know, into a Christless eternity. I went to his funeral and, and the priest did the funeral and the priest did the ashes to ashes and dust to dust and said all of the mumble jumble that religious people say. And I remember sitting in the back thinking to myself, with this crowd of people, 
Why don't you tell them the truth? And God the Holy Spirit said, because he doesn't know the truth. But you did. And you do. And you didn't tell him. I'm going to tell you something, dear friend. You hear me and hear me well. Our job is to get truth to people. You can't make them take it, but you must deliver it. We, we, look, look we, we, we don't write the truth. We just deli- we're just newsboys. We're, we're, just, we're just giving opportunities for people. In order to be saved, there's a call come ringing, or the restless waves, send the light, send the light. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We need a revival of brokenhearted people that will tell the lost about uh, Jesus the mighty to save. When's the last time you sat down with somebody and went through the plan of salvation with them? It's easy sometimes, and we ought to do this, but it's real easy sometimes to hide behind a church invitation. When's the last time you sat down with somebody you said, Preacher, I, I don't really know how to do that. Well, your pastor will help you. No, no, wait, look, you know what we do every so often in our church? I train soul winning. I go through soul winning, and we have people up, and we go through the plan. With, look, 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 have you been saved? Well, what's your testimony? Did you know this? Did you know that's the best way to witness is just give your testimony? Like, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of, I, 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 don't, I don't have a way with words. Or I, don't, I don't have a lot of theological ways of impressing people. And we're afraid. Well, what if they ask me a question? They're not going to ask you a question. They're blind. They're lost. You're trying to tell them how to get to Jesus. If you've gotten to Jesus, you know how to tell somebody else how to do it. Share your testimony with them. Tell them what Christ did in your heart and how he saved you. Share that with people. Make a difference in somebody's life. Last of all, I'd ask you this. Do they remember you as lost? Now, you can, you can go to church, but the reality of the matter is on your job and places where you're at, people probably really know. I mean, here, here, here's a guy, here, here's a guy, one son in hell and five on the way. He knew his brothers were lost. He calls Abraham father and Abraham calls him son. That's not a spiritual title. That's a racial title. He was racially connected to Abraham, and Abraham was racially connected to him, but one's in, 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 going to go to heaven and the other's in hell. You see, so there's, there, there's, there's, there's no getting over that. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, and that this life is in his Son, and he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. And the rich man died and in hell. You don't have a promise of tomorrow. You have no promise of tomorrow. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. You can be alive today and as strong as an Alabama plowboy, and before the day's out, you can be gasping for breath and begging somebody, somebody, somebody to come to you and help you. I'm just going to tell you something, dear friend. 
In hell, you remember the refreshing taste of a cool glass of water. You remember the brush of a gentle summer breeze. You remember the smile on your mother's face, the table chatter of a family meal. You remember the embrace of a loved one, the songs that the choir would sing, the plea at invitation time. You remember the loving witness of a friend or a family member over and over in your mind, but you will not be able to respond. You won't be able to answer. You won't be able to come to the altar. You won't be able to seek help. You won't be able to open your Bible. If you're here tonight and you're playing church, I'm going to tell you something. None of that. It'll be too late. See, see, the greatest word in the Bible, the most wonderful word in the Bible, perhaps when it comes to man is concerned, is the word forever. Because what that means is when Jesus saved me as a 12-year-old boy, I want to tell you what he did. He saved me forever. And listen to me. I'm not going to get eternal life. I have got eternal life. When you read one day that Dean Herring has died, you mark this down. That's not a period, that's a comma. And, 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 and the moment after I close my eyes in life in this world, I'll open my eyes in life on the other side. And forever and ever and ever and 10,000 times forever, I'll be in heaven. But the same eternity that applies to heaven applies to hell. And the smoke of their torment, Revelation says, ascendeth up forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm going to tell you something about this soul winning matter we're talking about tonight. This, this witnessing matter. I think, I think sometimes the word soul winning intimidates us. Don't let it intimidate you. The reality of the matter is, Jesus said, and ye shall be witnesses of me. What, what, what does witness mean? It's, it's a legal term. It, it, it means that I'm going to bring evidence to the table that Jesus saves. So I can't necessarily win a man's soul, but I can witness to him of the truth that the Spirit of God takes beyond the surface down into the heart of him. I can only speak to a man's ear. That's not my job to speak to the heart. Only God can bring it to the heart. I'm not trying to get notches in my Bible. I'm not trying to come back and boast about how many people I won to Christ. I'm trying to give everybody the opportunity to come know Christ as their Savior. When I was a kid, I used to hear evangelists make this statement. If somehow I could amazingly, miraculously ripped the lid off of hell. And we could open hell up tonight. And you'd hear the screams of the damned echoing throughout this room and smell the smoke of eternal damnation of hellfire and brimstone. If I could do that tonight, you'd get saved. But that's not what the Bible said. The Bible said if he will not hear Moses and the prophets, the one come from the dead, they will not be saved. So if you're here tonight and you're playing church, or if you're here tonight and you're not really saved, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I don't know what you're waiting on, but there's nothing that will ever happen in this life that will move you. If the word doesn't move you. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If that doesn't move you to come to Jesus, there's no sad story I can tell you that will. And let me just say this. Ripping the lid off of hell won't even make you any more a soul winner than you are right now. If, if, if you're not obedient to the word, there's no illustration I can give. We couldn't put up on a screen a picture of hell and you go out and say, I'm, that may last for a week or two, but it'd die right off. You see, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if we're, going to, if we're going to be witnesses, we're going to do it because that's what we've been called to do. You don't have to carry the burden of the decisions people make, but you do have to carry the burden of your responsibility of telling people about Jesus, the mighty to save. Let's bow our heads tonight. Would you